When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined as always by Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, our Football Insider subscribers sent us their questions. We're going to go through them. And as we've been doing, we're going to divide this up into two parts. We got plenty of great questions uh, to carry us through a couple pods here early in the week. And let's just start here, Mary Kay. Uh, because obviously everyone has the conference championship games on their minds. One kind of dud game, another pretty entertaining game uh, on Sunday. So this comes from Jeff in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Hey, Mary Kay, after watching the two conference championships, I was wondering what separates these teams from the Browns. Obviously, all of those teams have great players, but so do the Browns. My initial impression was that on both sides of the ball, they seemed so much more dynamic than the Browns. What do you think? There were a couple of takeaways that I had from watching those games. I think first and foremost, uh, it reinforced what I've been saying and writing and thinking for uh, quite a while now. And that is that Deshaun Watson needs more weapons and good ones and fast ones. Some of those shifty, you know, smaller kind of really fast guys in the mold of a of a Tyreek Hill or a Stefan Diggs or or someone along those lines. I think he needs that. Uh, I think he needs one other Pro Bowl caliber player. And last week when I started digging into players that they have to make decisions on, uh, I really took a hard look at Amari Cooper's, uh, his cap number for next year is $23.77 million. So he's going to be a candidate for restructure, trade, uh, or cut. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if, if they cut him and designate him a June 1st cut, which of course seems preposterous right now, uh, they would save $20 million on the cap. Uh, that will be tantalizing if they thought they could find someone to step in and be as good as Amari Cooper. Now, of course, that will be very difficult to do because he is pretty darn amazing. They're not going to want to give him up. I think they'll do everything they can to keep him, to restructure him. But that was one of the things on the offensive side of the ball uh, that I really thought hard about was the fact that they need more guys that you can really, really rely on. Yes, it's nice that Deshaun Watson can raise the level of talent of the guys around him, but you also want him to have a lot of options. And look at Joe Burrow. Look at all the options Joe Burrow has when he needs to go out there and throw the football. Look at how they were able to adjust when he was sacked on four of his first nine dropbacks, they were able to quickly adjust and make the in-game adjustments so that he had places to go with the football. Look at all the different options 
that Patrick Mahomes has. He lost three receivers during the game, still had plenty of places to go with the ball. It was getting a little dicey there uh, towards the end, but he still had uh, plenty of good weapons, including their rookie running back, who's really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. So offensive side of the ball, more weapons, more pass catchers. Defensive side of the ball. Defensive side of the ball, I'm like, where is DJ Reader for the Cleveland Browns, right? I mean, they need a guy like that. They need a big enforcer in the middle of their defense. They need to go out and they need to find that guy, their own version of an Indomitian Sioux or a DJ Reader or someone like that uh, who can just get that job done for you in the middle of the defense and open things up for your outside guys. So, you know, it, in today's NFL, you know, it it's always cyclical. And people are really now running the ball and running up the middle, and the quarterback runs up the middle. Uh, so you need a, a just a mountain of a man in there uh, to wreak some havoc. So those were two of my biggest takeaways. Okay, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave the Amari Cooper thing just out there hanging. But before we get back to that, um, I I think it's interesting when you mention kind of how both these teams are built on in the receiving core because right Cincinnati just has a bunch of weapons: Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd. I mean, T. Higgins is probably a number one receiver somewhere once he hits free agency. And the Chiefs kind of took this different approach after having such a clear number one. And I'm not including Travis Kelsey in this. Obviously, Travis Kelsey's the guy there. But having just the receiver position, having a clear number one in Tyree Kill. And then they just kind of went out and signed a bunch of guys. <laughs> like like Juju Smith-Schuster, a good receiver. You know, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, a, a guy who's really fast. Um, Nicole Hardman, a guy that they've had around for a while. I've, I've never been a huge fan, but uh, they have him. They draft Sky Moore, uh, Justin Watson. Could they, they traded for Kadarius Tony. Mm-hmm. I think it was really interesting the approach they took this offseason. Like, we're just going to go out and get a bunch of guys. Like, none of them are like number one guys. None of them are pro bowlers. None of them are, you know, superstars. But we're going to get a bunch of guys. And we have, and I feel pretty comfortable saying this today, we have the best quarterback in the NFL. So he's going to make it all work with these guys because they're all fast, they're all twitchy, and they all do the things we need them to do. And we also have this monster of a number one target in Travis Kelsey. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, they did not scrimp and save on going out and adding weapons for Patrick Mahomes. And they didn't say, oh, Patrick can, you know, Patrick can just raise the level of talent of whoever you put out there. No, they went out and they got some really, really good players. Kadarius Toney, I mean, he looked amazing before he got hurt. How about uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling in that game yesterday? Some of the catches that he made. I mean, this team, this Kansas City Chiefs team, they know how to add some offensive weapons, right? I mean, they, they can scout offensive players like there's no tomorrow. And the Browns, they just need to add to the pile. I mean, sure, you can bring along some of these younger guys. Put them on the practice squad for a couple of years if you have to. Don't cast them aside. Some of these guys have tremendous talent and upside and potential and ability. But they need some right now guys, veteran players, that can step in and be amazing. Do not leave 
Deshaun Watson bereft of talent on the offensive side of the ball. He needs guys that can go out there and make the incredible catch for him. And we were doing stories last week and this week on core players. And that's one of the things I put in my, in my core players post that I posted today was, you know, go get him some guys and, you know, don't look out there and wonder, you know, who are you going to have to throw the ball to? And then maybe run it yourself at times when you shouldn't because you don't find anybody out there that's open or not open, but can catch something in when he's double teamed or whatever the case may be, go out and get him some more guys. Okay. Let's go back to the Amari Cooper um, thing. Cause I saw that when you, when you wrote about guys to watch and I was, I was surprised by it. I didn't expect to see, you know, I, I thought, well, maybe there'll be an Amari restructure in there. And you threw out the post-June 1st option, which would save the Browns a whole lot of money. Now, the new salary cap number came out today. The Browns, I think, are, I looked this up before we came on, they're about $14 million over the cap um, right now when, when you factor in their rollover cap and, and the new number that, was that, that came out today. Um, so they're going to have to figure out a way to free up some money. But there's no way they would actually move on from Amari Cooper, right? Or, or do you think that's something they'd realistically consider? You know what? I think that they have to look at their roster with Deshaun Watson uh, making $54.99 million next, next year in terms of his cap hit. Um, and then you've got seven other guys in double-digit millions. You start to look at those big, big numbers and you start to decide. Player versus price. Am I going to pay this player that amount of money or can I get the job done cheaper? Now, I think we can all agree that Amari was amazing. He was a Pro Bowl caliber player this year. Uh, He played hurt. He played with two different quarterbacks. But he's that guy that you need. But do you need that guy at $23.77 million? Chances are they will try to lower that number. And if they can lower that number then I think they will do that and everybody will live happily ever after for 2023. But it has to be tantalizing to the Browns to look at that $20 million cap savings uh, post June 1st consideration and think, boy, if we can get that job done, then perhaps we can uh, do something about this. Will they do it? You know, I don't know. I know they like Amari. What's not to like about Amari uh, except for that number? So it's something to watch. It's something to keep an eye on. In a perfect world, I think they will try to lower the cap number and keep him. But I think we have to be cognizant that any number of those players in the double-digit millions are going to be looked at from a salary cap, possible restructure, or whatever mode. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I think I think it would be a mistake. I understand. I mean, I what you're saying is true. Um, but I think it would be a mistake. I think you, you do everything you can to restructure it. And I mean, if it, like, what do you do if you don't, I mean, like I did just kind of lay out what Kansas city did. Maybe that's your approach. You just go Mm -hmm. find a bunch of fast twitchy guys that fit what you do really well, even though they aren't, you know, the caliber of the guy you just gave up. But I, (laughs) I don't know. This receiving core is so bereft of talent or at least really questionable after Amari and, you know, I'd include Donovan Peoples Jones as a guy that you at least, at least know you can count on. Um, But after that, there's not a whole lot there, or at least not a whole lot of knowns. 
Yeah. The only way that you would do it, Dan, is if you knew that you were replacing an apple for an apple. Okay. That's the only way that you would do it is if you went out and you like traded for a Brandon Cooks or if you traded for a DeAndre Hopkins or if you traded for a player like that or were able to acquire the best receiver on the market and you you could come up with a really good number one receiver for a significantly smaller amount of money is probably the only way that you would do it. You don't do it if you are not replacing him and he would be hard to replace. So I don't think they'll do it. I don't, you know, I, I don't really think they'll do it. But when, when I started to dig into the numbers, I thought, I mean, you have to look at it. You have to at least think about it. You have to contemplate it. And here's another one of the reasons why I'm saying that is because he's coming off of a core muscle injury. And if he chooses not to get that core muscle injury repaired, then I think he's an injury risk for next season. I think at any given moment next season, he could aggravate that injury and not be himself. And I think there's some danger in that. And I think he was very reluctant. I actually talked to him. uh, I might've talked to him one-on-one at his locker for a minute about um, the surgery and whether or not he would be interested in doing it. I just got the impression from him that if he, if there's any possible way that he doesn't have to have the surgery, that he's going to try not to have the surgery. And that's fine. That's personal preference. Um, and maybe he has professionals that would help him find a way to get the core muscle healed up perfectly with rest and treatment and other things. But I think it represents a bit of a risk for 2023 at that price point, if you go into the season and that thing could get aggravated in any particular game. So that was the other thing I was going to bring up. Like if they think that this injury is going to be like a, you know, Hey, one week it's great. And the next week it's not. And like, it's still hanging around just for the rest of his career, you know, or even for like, that's, that's, you do have to start to factor that in. And um, along with what you said, it was an injury he did not want to talk about. Mm-mm. very much like I, you know whether it was in scrums during the week or even when the season was over and we talked to him you know I asked him about the injury I asked him if he was going to have surgery and it was he just still did not want to talk about the injury Mm-mm. um so it, it was a very and I don't know if that's how he is normally obviously because he's only been here a year if he just doesn't like talking about injuries but um he that one that struck me kind of after it hit like kind of all the rest, all of December and the end of the season. Like he just did not want to talk about it. You know, I'd have to go back and look, but I don't know if he's ever had to undergo a surgery. I'm not sure that he ever has. And, and, you know, I do know that when I've looked at his, you know, history of playing games, like he's missed so few games in his career. Now, by the time you get to this point in your career and you're playing uh, receiver at a very high level and, you've got all that contact. Generally, you've had some kind of a surgery by now in college, whatever. But I don't know that he has had a surgery. And I think he would like to avoid having a surgery if he can. So that's sort of just my own observation and sort of digging around a little bit. I could be wrong about that. I'll look harder. But um, but I just think it's something that you have to take into account. I think you have to wonder, you know, is he going to be okay 
just trying to let this thing heal on its own at that amount of money. And in that scenario, you know, you might want some club protection on that. You know, you might have to do some kind of an incentive laden contract. And what leverage do you have? You can cut them. You can cut them. Right? Not that you would do that. But if, if he's a June 1 designation and you can save yourself $20 million, you know, you could go to him and say, okay, well, we need this, this, and this, or we've got to do the contract this way. So I just think it's a, a conversation that, that they're probably going to have to have. Again, I don't have any inside knowledge on this right now. Um, I could be completely wrong about this, okay? I, somebody, you know, could say to me, you're crazy. There's no way that they will touch him. He's an untouchable and they have to have him and he's amazing and this is nuts. That could be the case. But when I start to look at the numbers like that, it makes me feel a little less crazy wondering about these things. Yeah, I again, you're not you're not wrong. Like it's they have to have discussions, but I still think it would be I think it would be a mistake. I, I think he's, you know, he's not Jamar Chase. He's not Justin Jefferson, but he he's a number one receiver. And I actually wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't a hundred percent sure about that coming into this year. Is he a number one or is he kind of like a, like a two a, you know, in those weird tiers that we put together in our heads. Mm-hmm. He looked like a number one receiver when he was healthy this year. Um, he, he looked like that guy and you pair the right people with him, give him, put some speed on the inside and maybe another speedy guy on the outside. Mm-hmm. And you, you've really got something in this receiving court. You know what? I, I agree with you. When I watched, you know, the, the Cowboys play and I saw CD lamb making some of those catches, I looked out there and I was thinking, Amari can make that catch. And not many people can. I mean, you don't make four pro bowls unless you're really amazing. Okay. I mean, he's really, really good and he's worth the money. I think. Um, but once again, you know, when you get to a certain point with your big money players, the Deshaun Watsons, the Miles Garretts, Denzel Wards, you have to start to make some decisions. And, um, again, hopefully for the Browns and for the fans and for Deshaun that Amari will be here next year and everything will be fine and everybody will be happy. But I just think that he falls into that category of, hmm, can we move any money around in this shell game a little bit and make this a little bit more feasible or what are we going to do here? All right. I think we all need a break after that Amari Cooper discussion here. So we're (laughs) going to take one on the orange and Brown talk podcast. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out. Somebody else had a question about receivers. Uh, Bruce Moore, Palm beach Browns backers in West Palm beach, Florida, basically asked about Kansas city's receivers always seeming quicker and faster. Uh, and if the Browns would make a concerted effort to find those types of receivers. So, uh, Bruce, we did address your question kind of indirectly there. Uh, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we've got some roster questions that were sent in from our Football Insider subscribers. And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast here on a Monday, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Let's continue with questions from our Football Insider subscribers. This comes from Jay in Canton. Hey, Mary Kay, the Browns have multiple needs in the offseason and only a certain amount of cap space and eight draft picks, mostly in the later rounds. The question is, what position group would you look to fill in the draft versus free agency versus letting the young guys mature? 
Uh, you know what? It's a really good question. Uh, you know, I feel like there is a chance that some defensive tackles could shake free in uh, in free agency. Now, some of them are so good that I find it very hard to believe that their teams would let them go. The Duran Paynes, the Hargraves, you know, some of these guys are really, really incredibly good. And, you know, they get franchised or, you know, extended and they don't hit the the open market. But that's one place I would be looking for uh, an experienced defensive tackle. I would be look all three of those positions we keep talking about. I don't even know how I would prioritize them because you want proven players at those positions. These are not feeder positions. These are not uh, positions that we're talking about where you can just hope that somebody can come in and get sacks for you. I mean, you need a number two edge rusher that can get to the quarterback. You need a defensive tackle that can enforce the middle and be a terror inside there and rush the passer and drop the quarterback and drop the running back. I mean, you you need that guy. And receiver, I, I think the same thing. I think you needed an experienced vet, one, at least one or two more experienced veterans for um, Amari Cooper. I mean, for, for Deshaun Watson. So, you know, you might have to look in, in the trade market as well. You're not going to find all of these guys necessarily out on the open market. You might have to make a trade for them. And if you can do that in the way that you did last year for Amari Cooper, then you're not going to get into a bidding war with another team either. Like if you can get a guy in a trade, you know, then generally you're good to go, even though you probably will have to extend that player. Um, so I can't necessarily say that I think, I mean, I think you can go get some defensive backs, you know, some young safeties, some young cornerbacks in the draft. Uh, you know, I think you can go get some linebackers, some good young linebackers in the draft to help you play some special teams and to, you know, come up in, through the system. I think you could go find some backup offensive linemen in the draft. I think you can go find some running backs in the draft. But these players that we are talking about, these key players, the wide receiver, the speedy wide receiver, uh, the big, burly, beefy defensive tackle, and the hustling defensive end that can get you five to six sacks a season, I think you got to go find them in a trade or free agency. And, you know, like the texter pointed out, it was um, the, these draft picks aren't super high. We're not talking about like four, four picks in the top 100 here. You know, we're talking about, Say, well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe there are four in the top hundred. I don't know how, where, where the third round picks are, uh, but they they aren't high picks, you know. So, yeah, maybe you'll find a Donovan Peoples Jones in the sixth round, but you know, maybe you'll find Richard LeCount instead. You know, it's just really, it's really hit or miss. And like, you know, a guy like Demetric Felton, who kind of a traits guy, you brought in, tried to make him a wide receiver, hasn't worked out. It's really hit and miss as you go the lower and lower you get in the draft. I mean, even in the second round, I I'd be curious what the like actual hit rate in the second round is of draft picks. It's probably not more than 50%. So it gets really hard to pick impact players that are going to be able to step on the field and help you win football games right away when you're not picking in the first round. Yeah. We'll have to look that up. Uh, that that's a key thing to, to know. Now, of course, you know, they can trade back up. They can try to get a couple more higher picks. If they could get another pick in the second round, that could probably really help them. And then you also hope to try to uh, find some value picks 
in the second round like they feel like they did with Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, where they had a first round grade on him and they managed to get him in the third round, in the second round. So that's what you're trying to do. Um, even with their, you know, some of their third round picks last year, they had higher round grades on them. So they they have to hope where, you know, this next couple of years is where your personnel department really needs to be worth its salt and really be earning its money uh, because you have to come up with some really, really good players and make up for the fact that you're going three straight years without a first round pick. And if you hit right on your first round picks, you're transforming your team with those players generally or trying to. So they've got to, um, they've got to draft really well with what they have. Uh, and they, they've got to trade well and they have to sign well. So this is, I think this is a pretty big off season for them. Okay. So I looked it up here while you were talking. Uh, of course they have the second round pick and the third round, they just have the comp pick, um, from the Quasi hire, uh, for the Vikings. They have, two round four picks. They have around two round five picks, a round six pick and a round seven pick. So um, we're, we're not talking about a lot of real high picks here um, outside of that second rounder. So this is, this is going to be tough. They're, they're going to have to figure out a way to do this. And like you said, they could trade around, they could move, try to move up, try to move down. Um, there are some things that they could do there um, if they want to do that. Okay. Let's find another personnel question. Uh, that's another wide receiver question. Oh, here we go. Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay, given the obvious impact of defensive tackles in yesterday's championship games, how did the Browns front office get it so wrong last year? I'll tell you what, from the moment we set foot on campus in the off season, we started to hear about how good Jordan Elliott was going to be, right? I mean, that was one of the first things uh, that we started to hear from defensive line coach Chris Kiffin. We then heard it from Miles Garrett. We heard it from offensive linemen, how good Jordan Elliott was going to be and how he was going to step up and, and have a breakout year last year. So I think that was one thing. I thought they felt that he was really going to be able to do that. Then they signed Taven Bryan as a free agent, and they felt like he would be good and be able to get the job done. And then they drafted Perrion Winfrey. And they did not realize that Perrion Winfrey was going to have as much growing up to do as he did to the point where it impacted his play. It to, he didn't get on the field for the Jets game. I mean, there were times where, uh, you know, he just did not get on the football field because of the growing up that he needed to do. Now, maybe under Jim Schwartz, he will do that growing up at, fast in a hurry, and he will be the player that they need him to be. Maybe Jordan Elliott will even be different under Jim Schwartz, maybe some, maybe the coaching change will have an impact on some of these guys that didn't reach their potential. But I think they thought they were upgrading the position. I don't think they felt that they just ignored it. I think they thought that they were going to be in pretty good shape. And then they felt good about the fact that they brought Jadavian Clowney back, not, not thinking that he was going to not have the kind of season that they expected. I think they thought they'd get more than zero sacks out of Alex Wright. So it just, all the way across the board, it just didn't go the way uh, that they expected it to. So there's got to be room for improvement in the existing players, and they need to add some veterans as well. And, and we've talked to Lance Reisland about this, and I've, I've mentioned it too on, on some of the pod segments. 
it was really concerning when Philadelphia came in and mm-hmm. had those practices. And I think at the time, you know, you don't want to put too much weight in like just watching those couple practices and making big sweeping generalizations. Cause you know, you just never know some of it's based on who's suited up. Some of it's just, you know, everybody practices a little bit different, but definitely in hindsight, you, you know, some of those concerns that you might've had watching those practices certainly, certainly played out for the Browns. And then, you know, as good as Philadelphia looked, that obviously has played out in getting them all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were signs during those joint practices that the Eagles were really good. And the Browns won their share of, of some of the battles. Um, you know, I mean, there, there were signs that the Browns were going to be good at certain spots against some of the things that they were doing. But there there were clear-cut signs that this was going to be a really good, strong, solid, well-coached football team. And uh, and I think in that respect, it was really valuable. I don't really like joint practices. I think it goes against the collective bargaining agreement. And I think you're kind of putting players uh, at risk for injuries and stuff like that and fights and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's something that should be collectively bargained. You know, you have to, you know, collectively bargain how many games to play. Well, that's almost like playing two more games when you're going to knock heads with another team like that. So, um, so generally I don't love those kinds of practices, but I think in this case, it was good work. It was good data. It was good work and it was very valuable. It'll be interesting to see how these teams look if, if the Browns will be able to match the, because it just felt like, there were times when it, you just looked out there and Philadelphia was like, oh, that team is a lot better than this one. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And especially a lot more physical um, than this one. I think we've seen in the playoffs how physical all all of these teams are and all those teams uh, that played on Sunday uh, as well. This comes from Frosty in Petersburg, Virginia. Hey, Mary Kay, do you agree the four final teams had very good defenses and how long will it take for the Browns to have a defense that good? I do agree. And it used to be even four years ago where teams just didn't put that much money or thought or resources into their defenses. I mean, even Kansas City up until three, four years ago did not have a very good defense. and They were they would just kind of hold it together with their amazing offense. Well, now it's all about getting to the quarterback. It's all about that, you know, big guy in the middle. It's all about pressure. It's all about uh, disruption. It's about takeaways. Uh, and again, I think that the the Browns need an infusion of talent. They need a new philosophy. I think they need some toughness. Uh, our texture brought up toughness there. And I've said this numerous times. I think they need a couple nastier guys on this defense. I really do. I mean, it it's okay to have, I think the Browns call them orange sticker guys now. Back in the Eric Mangini days, they were the green sticker guys where you're putting your draft board together and those with clean, flawless, impeccable character would get the green sticker. I think now it might be an orange sticker. Uh, and it, I mean, it's good to have those kind of guys because when you have guys that aren't orange sticker guys, uh, generally you spend a lot of your time trying to clean up the mess from those other kinds of guys. But I think you need to find orange sticker with an edge, orange sticker with a little bit of uh, something, something to him. Uh, just a, a little bit more uh, 
fire breathing type of thing. So I think, you know, when you're the makeup of the defense, it just needs to get a little nastier. I think that, I think that will help them. And, you know, you can have, you can have guys like that, but I mean, you got to have the leadership too in that locker room. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this defense just isn't built like that, but, you know, when you see Cincinnati go on the road in two really tough environments and their defense played really well, and now finally Lou Anarumo is, is getting some interview requests. Um, mm-hmm. when, when you see that, when you see Kansas City, you know, Chris Jones has been one of the best defensive players in football for a while now, and he finally shows, you know, he finally shows up and gets his two playoff sacks. And he, you know, I know Mahomes is getting the headlines, but Chris Jones really kind of won that game for him with those two sacks on, well, the, the pressure and then the sack on that last drive. Um, there, there's just, there, there's an edge to those teams. And on the other side, we all know about San Francisco and Philadelphia and, and what the Eagles can do and, and how good that 49ers defense is. And, and it just, you just don't see that from the Browns. And I guess the question is like, is Jim Schwartz that transformative of a coordinator? Well, we're going to find out. Because as we've mentioned before, almost everybody on defense regressed. And now they need almost everyone on, on defense to take that next step forward and to be better than they were the year before. And I need to say something about Chris Jones really quick, because I wrote a column last week, I think it was, saying that I thought that Miles Garrett should have been one of the three finalists for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And I think the player that I had in my mind uh, that that he stacked right up against was was Chris Jones, and that perhaps he could uh, have replaced Chris Jones. And of course, we know a lot of this has to do with the fact that the Browns did not win; they did not make the playoffs. That has a lot to do with it. But watching Chris Jones play in these playoffs, and watching him in particular play yesterday, wow! I mean, like you said, he was dynamite in that game. I mean, he was not to be denied, and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they used some of the Cincinnati mayor for motivation, but <laughs> but whatever the case may be, these ca- these guys came out snorting mad. I mean, they were fired up, and Chris Jones had an amazing game, and uh, and so then I, you know, I was rethinking that yesterday. I was like, hmm, did I, you know, was that, you know, unfair for me to, you know, to kind of say that that Miles should have been? I still think he he could have been one of the uh, one of the three finalists, but to to decide who you, who you are going to take off the list and put him in there, really, really hard. By the way, yesterday just kind of confirmed something I think we all know, but I think we, you know, when guys stand there at podiums and say, ah, no, this didn't bother me, or no, I didn't, you know, I didn't really hear them say that, or whatever it is, don't believe a word they're saying. <laughs> just, right. Just don't believe it. This goes back to I mean, it goes back to before this, but just, you know, obviously we all know the 2020 example when Juju had his remark and that got the Browns lathered up. Um, You know, I I remember this year after that Cincinnati Halloween game, the Browns really downplayed those podcast remarks from Jamar Chase. And then all of a sudden after the game, Greg Newsome is like almost exactly quoting them. So, you know, Mm -hmm. and then in this one, of course, Kansas City was not very happy with the burrow head stuff and the uh, Cincinnati mayor. So when any player in the NFL tells you that they didn't hear something or read something or something isn't motivating them, they're probably lying to you. We, we find that out again and again and again after teams win these games. 
Yes, absolutely, 100%. I mean, think back to uh, Juju and, uh, and the Browns' victory over the Steelers. Would they have come out with their hair on fire in that game had Juju not said what he said? That was such a motivating factor in that game. It does matter. And I think one of the takeaways in, in this situation uh, is that not only do you have to kind of try to put the clamps on your own players in terms of the, the chatter, but, you know, now apparently, like, you have to hope that your mayor is going to, like, behave and that other people in your community are going to behave because they will use it for motivation, even if it had nothing to do uh, with your football team. Yeah. Like you've got to keep your mayor quiet. You got to watch your social media people. You've got to like, there's there's too much. There's too much. And I think these coaches just, they find everything. They find every little thing and they put, and there's stuff we probably don't even know about because something got said and a team ended up not winning or whatever. And so it ended up not mad, but you get after some of these games and it's, you hear, I mean, Travis Kelsey, that was the most Cleveland, the most Cleveland uh, moments uh, of his life, jumping on camera and, and, and yelling at a mayor and yelling at yelling about <laughs> Burrowhead. It was all very Cleveland. Yeah, it, it was, it was kind of funny. Um, and Burrowhead, I'm not even a hundred percent, certain where that started are you dan like where did that originate i don't even know that's a great question actually because i don't was it who was it a Bengals player was it eli apple i know eli eli apple always gets himself into trouble i know Um, i mean i think i think he might have repeated it or one one of the Bengals players got in on on the act uh, but I, you know, I don't know if they created it or not, but I mean, you have to be so careful about that stuff. You can't do that. If it, if that came from the team, then, you know, then shame on them. I mean, because you can't do that. You can't do that. Even the off season stuff, you can't have Jamar Chase saying that Greg Newsom is not elite. You can't do it. That, that will linger and that could cost you a football game. Crazy oh, as Okay. It so I just did, I just did some Googling. And there is a story that says NFL Films caught. Okay, an ad just popped up. Hold on. NFL Films caught Bengals cornerbacks Mike Hilton, Eli Apple, and Cam Taylor Britt in a playful mood on the sideline. That's when Hilton said, We'll see y'all in Burrowhead. Oh, boy. <laughs> and wait, <laughs> what game was that after the. Uh... That, was, uh, that was the Buffalo game. After the Buffalo game, we'll see y'all and in Burrowhead. And this goes on to say. Uh, Travis Kelsey talked about it on his the podcast he does with his brother, uh, that New Heights podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. They noticed. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, don't you agree with me on the uh, Brown, Browns is the Browns? How fired yeah. up did oh, Cleveland yeah. get about Browns is the Browns? I, that, I mean, that changed the whole diet. And you could just tell watching that game and the way they were reacting. And um, one of our photogs got a great photo of Jarvis Landry after he scored a touchdown, or maybe it was, I don't remember whose touchdown it was, but he was just screaming um, at Steelers players walking off the field. Um, it mm-hmm. was, you could tell, you could tell that it, it got them going and, and got them fired up for sure. So, and by the way, a part of me thinks that's oh, kind of unfair that they got caught on the sideline saying that, and it went out on NFL films, but at the same time, these guys all know they're mic'd up. Yeah. No. They know what they're saying. I mean, guys walk around and tell each other when they're mic'd up. So yeah, they know. (laughs) 
Yeah. And you know, uh, you know how we always talk about how uh, the margins are so razor thin in these games. Sometimes something like that Burrowhead can be enough to put a team over the top. I mean, it's such a close football game. All it takes is one tiny little thing and you're done. So teams that teams do need to be careful about that sort of thing. I bet too that there was a little bit of it. Like Patrick Mahomes was probably sick of just hearing about Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Like he was probably just sick of hearing about like, Oh, Joe Burrow's the guy and just all this. And obviously we're, we're a big Joe Burrow podcast here, but <laughs> um, I, I'm sure there was a part of it that was like, he was just sick of hearing like Joe Burrow was, was kind of coming for his throne as the best quarterback in the league. I'm, sh- I'm sure there was some of that. Yeah. I mean, to, to try to beat a team for a fourth straight time, that's really hard. That, I mean, Patrick is so competitive. You knew that ankle or no ankle, that, that, that he was going to put it all out there and leave it all out there. That was the beauty of that football game. It's just like two really good quarterbacks, but also two fiery leaders and two ultra competitors. I mean, it was, it was exhausting just watching it, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was like, it was a grind too. This wasn't like a shootout where everybody was just making plays all over the place. Just, I mean, there, this was kind of a grind of a game. It Mm -hmm. was, you know, it was, there were certainly moments, but yeah, this was a, and it was tense and Yeah. I'm sure the Brown. I'm sure Browns fans don't want to hear this, but this we could see a few more of these AFC Championship matchups here between those two teams. And of course, that's why you go and get, as we've said before, that's why you go and get Deshaun Watson because you want to have a guy who's who you think is good enough to to spoil that party when he's at his best. Yeah, I mean the bar is set. The bar is set. You know, we watched it. We watched it in action yesterday in that game. That's where the bar is set. You've got to be able to come down. Uh, you know, you've got to come from behind. You've got to be able to play hurt. You've got to be able to squeeze the ball into, into tight windows. You've got to stay uh, as penalty free as you possibly can. You can't make stupid mistakes. I mean, you, you know, a taunting penalty. I mean, things like that can't happen. Um, but those quarterbacks, you know, that's exactly where the bar is set. And I think that's where the, uh, the bar is set for the pass catchers as well. So, you know, I mean, David Njoku, he should be going back and looking at that over the middle bobble, triple bobble catch by, um, by George Kittle and make sure that he's going to be able to do that. And, um, you know, same, same thing for all these guys, watch this game over again and, and see where that bar is set. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. I got a whole page of questions still uh, that we will come back to on Tuesday when we record part two of the Hey Mary Kay podcast. Uh, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that. And of course, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen, uh, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Sounds great.